Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. Good to see you again, and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable. Looking back at the big news of the week from Washington, with three of our top political reporters, and me, I apologize for kind of a scratchy throat this morning. Getting buzz, most of the buzz this week, Clarence Thomas and Donald Trump. For Justice Clarence Thomas, first it was a, a big donor's private jet and luxury, luxury yacht. Then the donor bought his mother's house. Now we learn that the same donor also paid for his adopted son's tuition. Is this against the rules? Are there any rules? For Donald Trump, a big surprise. After attacking the network for the last seven years, CNN turned around and offered Donald Trump one hour of prime time next Wednesday night, which Trump, of course, immediately accepted. And CNN is still trying to explain why they did it. Meanwhile, we seem to be getting closer to a government shutdown over the debt ceiling, but no closer to a deal to avoid fiscal disaster. What to make of it all? Well, let's turn to today's panel. Linda Feldman back with us, Washington Bureau Chief and White House Correspondent for Christian Science Monitor. Hi, Linda. Hi, Bill. Kirk Beto, Managing Editor of the National Journal Hotline, joining us today from South Carolina. Hi, Kirk. Morning, everyone. Thanks for having me, Bill. Welcome back to you. And joining us for the first time on the Bill Press Pod, Dan Merica, National Political Reporter for the new online news network, The Messenger. Hello, Dan. Thanks, Bill, for having me. So is the messenger up and running? Give us a quick it, plug here. <laughs> it is not. It is not. May 15th is you can set it on your calendars and look forward to it. I think it's going to be exciting, a new, a new player in the media space. Um, I think we'll, we'll cover politics, but we also have business and sports and entertainment. It's going to be a pretty broad-based online publication, um, and I'm very excited to, uh, to get started on it. All right. Well, congratulations, and we're uh, pleased to give the messenger its debut here on the <laughs> on the Bill Press Pod. All right, it's hard not to stop start with anything other than Clarence Thomas. Now, you know this is a man of the people. He says Clarence Thomas. This is back a couple of years ago, actually May 18, 2020. PBS ran a little documentary about Clarence Thomas, where he said, "All oh, shucks, I'm just an ordinary guy." Here he is. I prefer seeing the regular parts of the United States. I prefer going across the rural areas. I prefer the RV parks. I prefer the Walmart parking lots to the beaches and things like that. There's something normal to me about it. I come from regular stock, and I prefer that. I prefer being around that. <laughs> well, Kirk, we kind of learned that's not the case, huh? 
Uh, no, no, we have not. And it just seems like there's with this slow trickle out of this new reporting about Clarence Thomas's relationship with Harlan Crow, the GOP mega donor, or any of these other mega rich conservative adjacent folk. It seems like it's a you know, an ethics violation roulette wheel or something like that. Every day we have something new. Just this week we had the fact that Harlan Crow paid the tuition for his, uh, I believe it was his grandnephew uh, yeah. to go to school. Uh, just this morning or is it yesterday we have uh, Leo Leonard who is apparently uh, helped funnel consulting fees to his wife. I mean, it's just so brazen right now and it doesn't seem like there's any real uh, remedy for it right now or any real appetite for a remedy for it. It's really highlighted how the Supreme Court of all the branches of government is just so untouchable right now and kind of almost an anomaly in the system of checks and balances that we have. So, Linda, what can be done about it? So that that's an excellent question. I mean, there have been hearings that people calling for more oversight, uh, ethics rules that must be followed. But the problem is, or the challenge is, that this is the Supreme Court, emphasis on supreme. And uh, in our system of checks and balances, it would be, many people feel inappropriate for another branch of government to have effective oversight over the Supreme Court. And so... It has been a largely self-governing body, and I, I honestly don't see how that changes anytime soon. We have we do have the power of the press. Uh, Clarence Thomas and his wife Ginny. There's that new story out about Leonard Leo, uh, both getting dragged through the mud in the media. But at the end of the day, what really changes? I don't think anything changes. And um, Dan, what about the political implications of this? I mean, it kind of puts Republicans in a tough spot to defend, doesn't it? And yet they are. They're saying, yeah, you know, they, they're put, just you, good. They're just good friends. <laughs> you would think it puts them in a tough spot. But I was struck by how quickly Republicans came out and said, this is nothing. He's only being attacked because he's a conservative. I think yeah. what all of this does is it pulls the court further into this deep, political divide we've seen in the country. Obviously, the court was already there, but it's just further falling down that rabbit hole in a weird way. And yeah, it'll likely impact the standing of the court. I haven't seen any you know, recent polling data in, in regards to these Thomas, uh, uh, report, this Thomas reporting that says the, the court is more politically divided. But you have to imagine that both sides are going to go to their corners and you're going to see in polling that certain subset of voters think that the court has a you know, it's handling itself well, and the other side is going to think it's handling itself incredibly poorly. I was struck that Blumenthal, the senator from Connecticut, suggested that this misreporting of, of financial data from Thomas could be reported to the Department of Justice. Uh, that is, you know, if we're thinking about one way that this could play out, if that happens, that's certainly a way that, you know, ethics violations could be adjudicated by the Department of Justice. But as we've seen with the Department of Justice, they are a little careful to get involved in political matters and, and, and careful to step into into that kind of realm. Um, so I agree. I'm not sure how this play how this actually plays out for Thomas other than just the court going along and being the court, but it definitely is going to impact the standing of the court. Something we've already seen over the last few years is likely just going to get worse over the uh, next few. Yeah, Linda, back to something you said. It's possible, I think, that the, that the Congress, assuming they could get the votes, mm. could pass a bill requiring the mm. Supreme Court 
to adopt an ethics code, which they do not have right now. But mm. that gets to the tricky question of separation of powers, right? Exactly. And, an, and another point to make, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Harlan Crow <clears throat> ever had business before the Supreme Court, that, at least under Clarence Thomas, right? Not that we so, know of. I think you're right. So that takes a little bit of the edge off the, the whole conflict of interest allegation. But I agree. This is, I, I feel like there needs to be a solution to this. Uh, and, you know, if not, yes, I agree that public faith in institutions has only been going down and this certainly doesn't help. So if Clarence Thomas got a lot of buzz, so did Donald Trump on several fronts this week. Uh, this network that uh, I worked for proudly six or seven years at CNN, uh, Donald Trump has been at war against CNN for at least the last seven years. We remember he tried to fire Jim Acosta, take his press credentials away. He banned CNN to the back row of the briefing room. That didn't really work. He called them fake news. He called the reporters enemies, enemies of the American people. And Kirk, CNN turned around last week by offering Donald Trump a one hour in prime time next Wednesday night from New Hampshire hosted by Caitlin Collins. Is this a good move for CNN? Why are they doing it, Kirk? Well, I think, first off, anytime you get to interview the former president, the current uh, Republican frontrunner for the nomination, you have to take that interview. Now, Bill, you're right to talk about the fraught history Trump has with the network, about what the potential is here. And, you know, again, first off from the jump, you take the interview. Second off, I'm trying to figure out what success looks like here for CNN, because the town hall format gives him a little gives them a little bit of way to lean into voter questions. So it's not just Trump one on one with a reporter, even if it's a reporter like Caitlin Collins, who's certainly no pushover, who's a veteran of the first uh, Trump campaign, who's been around this environment before, knows him, knows how to ask questions, good presence on TV and everything. But I'm trying to game out what a success looked like here. And I'm thinking right now, what when Trump starts talking about you know the raid election, how Biden is not the right the rightfully elected president, what does Caitlin Collins do in that situation? Do you jump in there right there and say, uh, pr- former President Trump, that's a lie, that's not true? How does he react to that? And how do you keep this an informative and worthwhile exercise here? And I look. I don't know about you. I'll be tuning in and I'll be watching the whole thing. I'm <laughs> incredibly curious to see how this goes down. And again, you got to take that interview. I'm, I have no qualms with that. Well, I want to challenge you a little bit on that. I don't think Donald Trump is taking the interview. CNN offered the, he he accepted it. They offered it to him. They sought him out. I think it the, actually says. I think it actually says more about Trump than it does about CNN. If I can make that point, I think I you know I spent 12 years working at CNN. I covered Trump's first year in the White House. I was there for all of the, you know, CNN sucks chance at his first rallies as, as president. Uh, you know, the idea that he would do a town hall with this network after all that the, the relationship has gone through, I think says that Trump knows he needs uh, CNN, CNN's audience more than he did, more than he acknowledged, especially during the 2020 campaign, which he lost. I also think it puts pressure on people like DeSantis, uh, a Republican figure who has been criticized for only speaking to conservative media. It gives Trump a leg to stand on when he attacks DeSantis for for kind of being in an echo chamber, because now he can point to the fact that he 
went on CNN, did an hour town hall, talked to these voters in New Hampshire. And I, I agree with what everyone has said about Caitlin Collins. She's a fantastic interviewer. She knows Donald Trump well. She knows his, his campaign and his administration well. And I think she will hold him to account when you, when you raise that, that question about what, you know, what do you do when he says the, rig, the election was rigged? I think that is, that's, that's why she's so good at her job. Well, Linda, isn't this just a replay of 2016, as Dan pointed out, when CNN turned their cameras over to Donald Trump? Every Donald Trump rally was covered wall to wall. Jeff Zucker later said he regretted doing that because he realized that catapulted Donald Trump to the nomination and to the White House. And here we go again. Right. But it's, this is a completely different context. He's the former president. He's the front runner for the Republican nomination. And this is, I think it's incredibly smart on both ends for CNN and Donald Trump to do this. It, it, it gives Donald Trump an opportunity. So, so it's him sort of dismissing Fox news, right? So Fox is in turmoil. We go to CNN, which is much more mainstream and it, it puts him out there and he can, you know, he's known Caitlin a long time. Caitlin's fantastic. Uh, you know, used to be at the Daily Caller. So she has some cred, I think, in the conservative world. Um, and he can fight her. They can fight each other. It could, it could be good theater. Uh, Donald <laughs> Trump, Don, and, and here's the secret. Donald Trump loves the media, right? He, he <laughs> says terrible oh. things about us, but he loves us because we pay attention to him 24-7. Ron DeSantis actually hates the media and will not engage with mainstream media. So this really puts it right in his court. Okay, Ron, are you going to engage, which honestly, he, DeSantis has to do that if he's going to be credible as a Republican candidate. So, Kirk, who's the winner here? Uh, the American voter. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we need to see how this plays out here. You know, Dan, I thought that was a really interesting point about how uh, CNN is uh, putting, invited him on here and that Trump is acknowledging that he needs these voters and everything like that. I'll be interested to see what the Monday morning quarterbacking and postgame analysis is here. You know, I hope we don't have, you know, someone coming up there and talking about how this is the pivot to the general election Trump needs as he's the uh, front runner or you know this is the moment Trump became the a general election candidate or something like that so I'm gonna withhold the winner right now uh, until okay. we see uh, them square off here well one thing that hasn't been stated Dan can't we all just be honest CNN is doing this because the ratings they think this is going to their ratings have been sinking under Chris Lick they think this is going to turn things around. And Donald well, Trump's going to pick up some of those Fox people who aren't happy with Fox because they fired Tucker. Well, you heard earlier in this conversation uh, that that uh, people are going to be on the edge of their seats watching closely because it, it will be good TV and it will be interesting to see how both sides handle this. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not breaking any news here, but a lot of what TV journalism does is about getting ratings. I mean, I think that is not as a not a, uh, you know. Eye-opening statement. It's obvious. This is uh, obviously about ratings, and I think it will rate well because it's a Donald Trump interview on CNN. I would. I don't know the top of my head the last time that happened, but it has certainly been years, and so it will do well. And, and I'm just kind of, you know, I will. I, I will reserve judgment on who who wins this bout, but I'm going to put my faith in in Caitlin and her ability to hold Trump to account when he says things that aren't true, and 
and uh, we'll see afterwards if, if that's what happens. Okay, so we, we will see Donald Trump next Wednesday in New Hampshire. Unlikely, we will see Donald Trump in a New York courtroom in the Gene Carroll rape case, uh, uh, except the judge has given him until Sunday, 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon, to make up his mind if he, Trump, actually wants to appear and testify in front of the jury. Let's just, let's just take, let's say he doesn't, and we're stuck with the testimony that we've heard uh, from both sides, with the defense not really putting any witnesses on the stand. Linda, how damaging has this uh, trial been for Trump so far, do you believe, if at all? So it's it's been damaging. Um Jean, e. Jean Carroll, I, I haven't been covering this, but based on the coverage, uh, she's been a credible witness. So true, she doesn't remember exactly when this happened, what year it was, but she had two uh, contemporaneous witnesses, two female friends who she talked to and who testified. Um, honestly, I think Trump, so Trump is in, is in Ireland and he says he might come back to the last minute, put in a personal appearance. I His attorney says he won't. He says he might. Yeah. yeah I, I seriously doubt that. I think, I think he's going to lose. So this is a civil trial, not criminal. So it, all it is, is, uh, you know, pr- preponderance of evidence, not beyond a reasonable doubt. It doesn't have to be unanimous right. jury. So all he needs is, a, you know, 51%. And I think he'll get there. I think Trump is going to lose. And and then we move on. And, you know, he, he essentially admitted when he said uh, what was he said, the uh, that that Access Hollywood tape simply yeah. reflects the truth. Yeah. I mean, yeah. wow. Right. Yeah. Kirk, I, I, I want to ask you about that. So Trump was not on the stand, but they did depose him uh, and they played for the jury, uh, as Linda indicated. Uh, this famous excerpt from the Access Hollywood tape. Here it is again. Apologize, but it's Donald Trump speaking. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. And that tape was played. Donald Trump was asked about it in his deposition. And as Linda pointed out, he said, well, that's true. Absolutely true. Fortunately or unfortunately, that's the way it is with stars. This is what we can do. Kirk, you got to say, didn't help his case a lot. Uh, no, and I, I feel like we're in that, uh, I think you should leave skit where the guy goes, oh my God, he admitted. But it, <laughs> I mean, it, it feels like relitigating the Access Hollywood tape again just reminds me of how precarious that was. And that was probably his lowest point besides the insurrection of his you know, political career since 2015. And yet it still wasn't enough for Republican leaders to uh, leave him en masse. It wasn't enough for Hillary Clinton to beat him then. And I think even if we do get a uh, ruling in favor of uh, Eugene Carroll here, it isn't going to affect him all that much politically, which is incredible to think. I mean, we're in just such incredible new territory here. It feels like Trump every few months is pushing some new ethical, moral, political boundary and finding new ground here. What I'm really 
uh, surprised at so far, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, is that none of the other folks running in the Republican primary are making this an issue. None of the other, you don't see Ron DeSantis going out there and, and talking about this case. You don't see uh, Asa Hutchinson talking about, look, do we really want this guy to be the standard of the Republican Party? You don't see anybody out on the trail harping him for this. You don't see Nikki Haley doing it either. And until we start seeing his political opponents start holding him account within the own party or trying to hold his feet to the fire here, I, I don't know how this amounts to anything more than a shrug, unfortunately. Yeah. What about that, Dan? I mean, let's say, and you know, we'll see, but uh, it looks like he could easily be found guilty in this case. It, are Republicans really going to say, we want a man who's been found guilty of rape to be the the nominee for the Republican Party and nobody challenge him on those grounds? I think what, what happens is Republicans look at polling, Republican candidates look at polling, and they see how well Trump is doing despite all of this going on at the same time. I mean, polls taken at the same time as all this case has been played out show him with substantial leads in states, nationally. And it's a bit cynical, uh, but, you know, they decide that they need Trump's base if they're going to be the nominee. They need people who support Trump to come to them. And I would imagine the calculation is I can't hit Trump on personal, you know, a matter like this. And I don't want to be the first one to do it, especially because it may damage me with his base, which I'm, of course, going to need. And I, and I agree, you know, Kirk is right. A lot of this, you know, maybe not the E. Jean Carroll accusation, but there were certainly accusations against Donald Trump that the Clinton campaign used during the 2016 general election, you know, the, the Access Hollywood tape as a great example of that was a huge moment in that campaign. And it wasn't enough for Hillary Clinton to defeat Donald Trump. Um, so again, cynical, but you question whether voters are paying attention to this, A, and B, whether a certain subset of voters are care enough to have it swing their vote one way or the other in a deeply, you know, polarized and partisan country. Dan, do you think it, do you think it's like, what Trump is saying in that deposition while like acknowledging that unfortunately or fortunately, this is how it is. You know, you can do this stuff. Do you think it's voters reaction to that is kind of just baked into the Trump experience here that th this guy is so just brazenly out front with what he's doing that voters are kind of like, okay, that's Donald. I think it also plays into like an assumption that voters have about famous people and celebrity culture, especially in Republican <laughs> circles, mm -hmm. which is, you know, uh, I think is something that the, the Clinton campaign experienced firsthand in 2016. When the Access Hollywood tape came out, I can tell you I was the embedded reporter for CNN on that campaign. And I remember Clinton aides rejoicing, thinking that they had just won the election, basically, that this was going to be the, the, the moment that sunk his campaign. There's no way he's going to bounce back from that. Uh, they were clearly wrong. And uh, I think it, it, that the way that played out really has reshaped the way reporters, operatives, and even candidates think about these big moments, these what would have been, what would have sunk a campaign previously well, has certainly be rejiggered by, by Donald Trump. Yeah, just a just a just a quick point on that matter. We can all remember the day when, for a candidate to be accused, even accused of rape, yep. would automatically disqualify that candidate from any consideration for any office whatsoever. Uh, so we've come a long way, not necessarily in the right direction. Hey, well, on that point, there's still a lot more news to cover here, including a 
big, big victory for the big win for the Justice Department. Let's get into that and the other news of the week with our panelists after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. And then we'll be back with Linda Feldman from the Christian Science Monitor, Dan Merica from The Messenger, and Kirk Beto from the National Journal Hotline. And today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod, brought to you by the International Brotherhood of the, the Laborers International Union of North America, I meant to say, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A, the great members of the Laborers Union under Terry O'Sullivan, still the president of the Laborers Union, over a half a million strong, very active in the construction field, rebuilding America's infrastructure. In the energy field, building not only old-fashioned pipelines, but wind turbines and solar panels, and active in the healthcare industry as well. We salute the good members, men and women of the Laborers Union, thank them for their great work rebuilding America, and thank them for their longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Your words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We're back with today's roundtable. Dan Merica joining us from the new site, The Messenger, which debuts on May 15. Kirk Beto here, managing editor of National Journal Hotline, and Linda Feldman, White House correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor. So, Linda, the Attorney General of the United States, uh, speaking to reporters yesterday and talking about a big win for the Justice Department. Here's the Attorney General. After three trials, We have secured the convictions of leaders of both the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers for seditious conspiracy, specifically conspiring to oppose by force the lawful transfer of presidential power. Our work will continue. So, Linda, this seditious conspiracy, this is a big deal, isn't it? It is a big deal. I mean, it's it's a pretty rare moment when... uh, this kind of conviction takes place. Um, and, you know, what it seemed to me that they used a pretty um, 
expansive definition. It's not as if these the Proud Boys were, you know, having meetings and 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 planning and plotting for months on end. I mean, it was a kind of in the moment thing, but they were collaborating. And the one guy who was found not guilty didn't know the others and wasn't involved in any of that in the moment uh, activity. Um, so th- there's no doubt that this is a big victory for the Justice Department um, and Merrick Garland was rightly celebrating. But I think if you step back a little bit, you have to remember that far-right extremism is still out there in a rampant way. Donald Trump is running again. All the ingredients are there for this kind of thing to happen again. Um, And I think that might temper a little bit of the celebration around these convictions. Uh, And Kirk, doesn't this kind of though further erode the case that some Republicans have still been trying to make that this was nothing but a, uh, you know, a, a group of tourists, right, visiting the White House or a group that went to the Capitol not intending to do any harm and just suddenly um, broke out into violence. Uh, that's, that's not what this conviction says. Yeah, this wasn't a normal tour, as uh, some members of Congress would have you believe here. I mean, Bill, I think you're right that the more convictions we have here, especially for a serious crime like sedition here is uh, really diminishes that argument and makes it adds to the gravity of this situation here. You know, I'm, I think a lot about how the further away we get from January 6th, the more it gets a little bit more memory hold. Now it's really interesting to see president Biden launch his re-election campaign and Colin Allred down in Texas kind of lead with images of the insurrection and everything. Yep. I'll be yep. interested to see how that plays out amongst voters. And if, other Democratic candidates for these big offices continue to lean into the messages, messaging of January 6th of you know fighting back against extremism here. But Linda, I think, made an excellent point about how the Proud Boys are going to be crippled from this. Their their leaders going to prison. They have so much other litigation, civil and criminal, that could cripple them financially. But there are other less nationally known far right groups who are smaller who have, you we've seen protesting at you know these you know drag drag show like story hours and stuff like that and you know at these state capitals when they're trying to pass this LGBTQ legislation that the threat from this sort of extreme right this white nationalist wing uh, that's in this country right now isn't going away but the most prominent one right now at least has been really diminished so, Dan, once again, all of this kind of circles back to Donald Trump, right? Because, uh, first of all, we remember that first debate with Joe Biden, his quick reference to the Proud Boys. Here he is. Proud, Proud Boys, Boys stand back and stand by. Mm-hmm. Stand back, stand by. This is a man who has promised to uh, pardon people who were, uh, have been convicted for, for January 6th. He embraced last week up in New Hampshire this woman who said that Mike Pence should be executed for what he did uh, on January 6th. The Proud Boys, part of their defense was they called themselves Trump's army. We were just following his orders. So um, this is a blow to Donald Trump, too, at least potentially. Do you agree? Yeah, I think it, it certainly could be. And I think how he handles this going forward, how he handles Groups like the Proud Boys going forward, I think, will will also say a lot about how big of a blow this is for the Trump uh, for Trump and the Trump campaign. You're exactly right about embracing that woman in New Hampshire 
that got a lot of attention and, and coverage. And it, it, again, it's, but it's a question of, is Nikki Haley going to bring this up? Is Ron DeSantis going to bring this yep. up? Is it too fraught for them to kind of play in that sandbox of questioning what, you know, of, of attacking people over January 6th, given so much of the Republican base still believes they might believe that January 6th was wrong or the way it was handled was wrong, but so many people believe the election denialism that led to January 6th. That will be very telling. I, I completely agree with Kirk. It is interesting to see the Biden campaign come out so forcefully with their first, their, in his announcement video. I think the first images were about January 6th. I'm interested to see whether other, Repu- other Democratic candidates, incumbents who are running for Senate, who are going to have these you know, wild... Uh, GOP fields against them, primary fields against them, how are they going to use January 6th to tie those Republicans to people like the leader of the Proud Boys? Are they going to run on kind of a January 6th message, January 6th was a turning point, we have to stand up, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That, you know, there was some questions right after January 6th among Democrats about how forcefully they should run on the January 6th messaging I think that's kind of been put to bed, given the Biden campaign launched, basically, with their first images being January 6th messaging. Um, but, it, you know, it's a two-prong uh, it's a, it's a factor. Are you going to have Democrats continue to run on January 6th? That seems like a yes. The open question is, are Republicans going to use the Proud Boys January 6th, all of the data points you referenced, against Donald Trump? I, that's a big open question at this point. Uh, Kirk, I want to come back to something you said about uh, Colin uh, Allred, right? Is that in in Texas? Yeah, Colin Allred. Colin Allred. Uh, So his announcement video that he's running against Ted Cruz, he actually said on January 6th, I took my coat off, my jacket off. I was ready to confront those guys and punch them out. Meanwhile, he pointed out, he claims that Ted Cruz was hiding in a closet in his office. <laughs> well, look, you know, Colin Arrow is a former NFL player. He's a, he's a big guy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to doubt him for any second if he's ready to rock and roll there. But, I mean, that's kind of like how it is in a, nut, in a nutshell yeah. here in that, yeah. that race down there. Right. No, but he made no bones about it that he's going to make that a big issue of the response, again, to, to Dan's point about uh, January 6th, going to be front and center in his campaign. Right. right and right and you know this this could be you know attributed to the effectiveness of his meshes there or the fact that he's just running against you know uh Ted Cruz who don't know if you know is might not be the most popular guy in the Senate uh, his <laughs> campaign announced today that they raised over 2 million dollars since launching earlier this week i know that uh democrats have been chasing a blue texas uh like it's ahab and moby dick here but of if there's anyone who could make a serious run here Democrats couldn't think of a better candidate than, than Colin Allred here. And that's going to be, it's not necessarily going to be my top five, top six race, most uh, fun races, Senate races to watch next year, but it's definitely one we're going to be keeping an eye on here at Hotline. Okay. Meanwhile, it looks like there is a, a little less now than a month to go before uh, everything falls apart. The United States runs out of money and we go bankrupt and there's a great recession and all the bad things that could happen. But will it happen is the question. Right now, all we're hearing are the claims on both sides about how to handle how to handle this. Let me play a couple and then get your response. Here is, first of all, an ad by the Majority Forward PAC, a Democratic PAC, about what Kevin McCarthy is up to. Defaulting on our debts. 
In our homes, we try to avoid it. But in this house, MAGA Republicans are so extreme, they're ready to let America default, sinking us into recession, driving middle-class costs up, our retirement savings down. Now, Speaker McCarthy reveals his MAGA Republican demands to wildly slash things America cares about. Education, clean air and water, even cancer research. Default or destroy. Just MAGA Republican extremism at its worst. On the other side, Mike Lee, Republican from Utah, says, uh-uh, no way we're going to raise the debt ceiling. By the way, parentheses, even though they did it three times under Donald Trump without any um, complaint at all. But no way, Mike Lee says, we're going to do it without massive spending cuts. Any debt ceiling increase needs to have significant, substantive, substantial spending reforms in it or we should have no business supporting it. Linda, we've seen this movie before. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is this a real threat that things are going to collapse, or is this just politics up until the 11th hour, as always? So I think we have to take this one incredibly seriously. We're, so the X date at this point is June 1st. That's very, very soon. Uh, Kevin McCarthy's control of the House is not, shall we say, robust. Everybody's walking a tightrope here. Uh, it's true that Kevin McCarthy was able to pass legislation and, and lose, lost only the four votes he could afford to lose uh, that would, uh, you know, pairing an increase with, of the debt limit with cuts to federal spending. So obviously, you know, debt on arrival, but he, he got at least got that through. That showed us he had something. Um, so the Biden administration is talking a good game. They will not, they say they won't negotiate, but they have to, they know they do. So, so Biden is having the big four from Congress in on Tuesday, the the top leaders of each party from each house. And they're going to basically, this is an option to essentially negotiate spending cuts, but say that it's not tied to the debt limit. So Mm. it's a little bit of a, you know, mirage, but they, I think Biden's going to have to give them something and not, and just call it, you know, maybe toward the next budget. Right. So it's yeah. not, he can't, you know, they want to get rid of his climate agenda, but they, that's not going to happen. Um, there are other options out there uh, for, for Biden. He can, that and the Democrats, they can do uh, a, a legislative maneuver called a discharge petition, which would get around uh, Democrats maneuvering around the the Republican majority by getting a few moderate Republicans on board. And then the, the, the sort of the outer option would be for Biden to just go it alone and say that the debt limit itself is unconstitutional because right. the 14th Amendment of the Constitution stipulates that the government must pay its debts. So I kind of like that idea. But meanwhile, times times are wasting. We only have a few weeks till June 1st. We don't know that June 1st is, the, is when it really all comes crashing and burning down, but everybody knows that a, that a default would be catastrophic. Uh, the, um, there was a report uh, out from White House economists warning that it would shed, the, the economy would lose 8 million jobs as, as it goes into recession. So it's bad for Americans and, and also, of course, politically. Uh, yeah, Kirk, and neither party wants this to happen, right? I mean, because they know they're going to get blamed if it does. Right. We're in the 
in the thick of the you know vote no hope yes uh, situation <laughs> right now here. What, what I'm interested in from the political fallout on this is how both parties try and square the blame here right now. You know, we played that ad from the Democratic aligned pad majority forward trying to do that bank shot on McCarthy, but I just wonder if at the end of the day, it's still gonna the buck is still gonna stop with Biden here because he is the one you know nominally in charge here, and if a default goes back onto him. It's just really interesting. One of the big political questions that I have right now is McCarthy's name ID amongst voters and how uh, effectively Democrats can turn him into this boogeyman in the level that Republicans did with uh, Nancy Pelosi over the last 20 years. I believe it was Semaphore had a poll that showed Marjorie Taylor Greene and Kevin McCarthy had the same percentage of name ID right now. And so <laughs> as as we go through this process here and as the whole cottage industry of political ads finger pointing starts sprouting up on our uh, airwaves, I'll be interested to see how Democrats try and vilify Kevin McCarthy here. Uh, Dan, isn't the maybe the key player here Mitch McConnell? I mean, he has a history of being an obstructionist, but also he's got a history of making deals with Joe Biden, and he's been relatively silent so far. Uh, uh, do you think he could be the key player, end up being the key player? I think he will be a key player, certainly. I think he's been pretty forceful about criticizing Biden, So, uh, yeah. the way that Biden's handled this so far. I think he said, you know, told him to stop wasting time. He declined kind of to to step in and, and play mediator in this, at least for now. I, I believe that all four of the big four, I believe he was invited to that May 9th meeting uh, at the White House. But, you know, I, I, I've covered D.C. long enough that I think that generally these things get done. Maybe it's a punt. Maybe it's an actual deal. But it's something, something happens. Um, but this is a different kind of negotiation you know, usually people like to use the football terminology that they're on the 10 yard line, the five yard yeah. line, the goal yeah. line, whatever. It really feels like they're like in different football stadiums at this point <laughs> and are and are not even playing maybe the same game um, because they are so far apart. And and there is going to have to be some concessions, um, at least the con- current positions that are laid out. There's going to have to be some concessions on both sides. I'm interested in, you know. Biden kind of added a layer to this over the last couple of weeks by announcing for president. It made this not just a administrative question, but now it is a far more political question about how he can spin whatever deal he gets, mm-hmm. which complicates things, frankly, a little bit. It adds another layer to it in an already complicated situation. But, you know, I'm not a I'm not a betting man, but I I, I don't think either side wants to shut down, knowing that the blame will be enough to go around. Uh, I'm not a betting man either, but I would bet that the uh, that uh, Armageddon does not happen, or the uh, worst does not happen. But we'll be watching it play out over the next few weeks and following it and talking about it here on the Bill Press Spot. A great big thank you to today's panel for taking a look at the news of the week. We got to as much of it as we could. Um, but before we let you go, there's always one story, whether you're covering it or not, whether we've talked about it or not, that caught your attention and stopped you in your tracks. We call it our favorite story of the week. Um, Kirk, what stood out with you this week among all the other news items? 
Well, amongst all this news that we've been talking about, I've been also watching a lot of the NBA playoffs. Uh, really, <laughs> okay. really, really happy that the uh, the Sixers were able to steal one uh, in Boston. We're not going to talk about the uh, the game from the other night. Uh, we get we stole one on the road, but there's a great story from the Ringer by uh, Justin Barrier. Uh, it's a profile of Hubie Brown, who's a longtime NBA fixture, who's been in and around the league for the past five decades. It's called The Painted Area is still calling it Hubie Brown. He's now doing color commentary for C- uh, ESPN. And it was just a great look at his process, his prep work, and how at 89 years old, he's still sharp as ever, still mm-hmm. doing all these games and everything. Uh, and, you know, there is the whole political tie that, you know, the old guy still got it. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so hard on Biden either. But it was a great read. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, we always appreciate people who add a, a note of sports uh, to the Bill Press pod because you're not going to get it from me, but some of our panelists. Linda, how about you? What uh, what caught your attention this week? So I am a sports nut and I'm from Boston and I'm still <laughs> trying to overcome the absolutely devastating loss of the Boston Bruins. Best season ever in the NHL, and they went out in seven games. I am despondent. But on a happier note, my favorite story of the week took place last Friday afternoon, so I think it still qualifies. Yes. I walk, I walk onto the White House grounds, and there's my friend Marek from Polish Radio. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It was Thursday, but I wrote this up on Friday. Anyway, sorry. Um, there's Marek with his 10-year-old daughter, She had just been invited into the Oval Office with one other kid. It was Take Your Kids to Work Day. Oh, my God. She, Nina, little Nina, 10 years old, smart as a whip, and the son of a CNN cameraman were both spontaneously invited into the Oval Office by Joe Biden. She had shouted a question to him about Poland. What what did you like about your what what about your trip to Poland? What what's what was what did you enjoy there? And he gestures to her and invites her into the Oval. And guess she gets to sit at the Resolute desk. She and the other kid get to uh, pose underneath the desk like like John John. <laughs> the old, picture of John John. And oh, wow. anyway, she's, I think, a little reporter in the making, having shouted a question at Joe Biden without her father's prodding, he insists. Although, here's my favorite line. I wrote this up. My favorite line was... Uh, no, she doesn't want to be a reporter. She wants to be a theoretical physicist like Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory. So, <laughs> so go Nina. I'm, I'm on team Nina. Oh, great. Oh, great story. Yeah, I'd love to bet we all weren't there to, uh, to see that. And Dan, uh, we'll wrap with your favorite story of the week. Mine is also sports, but I'm going to take us to oh, Italy, right. actually. I'm a, I'm a huge soccer fan, and... Napoli, the Italian soccer team, won their first title in 33 years. Whoa. Uh, they won it last night by drawing with another Italian side, and they, they cannot be caught now. It's just the third time in their history that they've won the title, and it's the first time since Diego Maradona, the Argentinian icon, left the club. I mean, to, to kind of get at how important he was to the club because of those two titles he won, they renamed the stadium after him after he passed away. That's how big he was. Yeah, um, it's this wow. awesome, diverse team: Nigerian striker, Georgian winger, South Korean defender. It's just like a fantastic story. But the reason it's my favorite is because of the images and the videos of the party in Napoli after oh. they won the championship. <laughs> I mean, it's grown men crying, fireworks everywhere, pizza, wine, beer. It's like the best, biggest party you could ever imagine. 
in a fantastic uh, European city. I highly recommend. I don't have a story exactly to pitch, but I'm going to say go online, check out the video, check out the photos because it is it is pure joy in sports form. Okay. Well, for uh, by the way, if you're going to have a, a party and a big celebration, Naples is the place to do it, too. <laughs> uh, it's a wild town. Uh, so for my favorite story, uh, we have uh, one of our sons and his family, two of our grandchildren, live in the state of Oregon. So we spend a lot of time in Oregon, and I was delighted to see this week that it looks like Oregon is moving into the 21st century, the Oregon House of Representatives passed a law this week allowing the residents of Oregon to pump their own gas until this time <laughs> since 1951. you can, And I know well from traveling around Oregon, you cannot pump your own gas. You have to have an attendant fill up your pump. Um, and uh, this bill now passed the House. It is going to the Senate where it looks like it's going to pass. The governor says she will sign it into law. So you will not need an attendant Fairly soon, no longer need an attendant to pump your gas in the state of Oregon, which leaves, here's my challenge to the panel, which leaves one, only one other state in the country where you will still have to have an attendant where you're not allowed to pump your own gas. Anybody know which it is? It's New Jersey. You're right. New Jersey. <laughs> New Jersey. <laughs> I hate that. I totally oh, hate that. It's terrible. So, I know. So someday... We can hope that even New Jersey will move into the 19th century, right, <laughs> on the gas front. All right. Hey, great job today, panelists. Thank you so much. Thanks. Big thank you to Dan Marica. Thanks, Dan. Congratulations on The Messenger. We want to get you back. Kirk Beto from National Journal Hotline. Thanks again, Kirk, for being here. And Linda Feldman from the Christian Science Monitor. Thanks to our panelists. Thanks to all of you for listening. Have a great weekend. Don't forget... Get up early tomorrow morning, 5.20 a.m. is when the carriage, the queen and the king, king and queen, leave Buckingham Palace on their way to Westminster Abbey. You know you want to be there for every moment of that, 5.20 a.m. East Coast time. Uh, I won't be watching. But uh, also invite you back next Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We're going to be talking with the great Norm Ornstein about something we discussed this morning about the Supreme Court and whether or not they will ever adapt, adopt or should adopt any ethics guidelines. That's next Tuesday, the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 